Hi guys, this is Danny. And this is Molly. And this is Black Chick Lit. Welcome, welcome. Hello. It's good to be back. Have things cooled off in LA or is it still like <sighs> hot It was AM? like 90 yesterday. Oh God. We got up to a balmy 55. <sighs> I was like, ooh, I don't have to wear stockings today or, or like, all I need is a light jacket. It was great. And then my car died, so I then I was mad about that. So. Yeah. Well, you take the good, you take the bad. <laughs> However, <laughs> the song goes. It's good. You make some and there you have the facts of life. Um, yeah, that was an aside. I'm very excited for this episode, Molly. I love when we do genre fiction. Me too. It's like we got to be classy, and we be in, we're in depth, and we're we're insightful when we do literary fiction and then and then all the mess comes out of genre <laughs> and i like that it's finally you know it's getting dark it's molly season <laughs> like the moon is rising the moon is rising danielle's star of romance is starting to to set on the horizon and molly's moon of sci-fi <laughs> fantasy is rising and and urban urban <laughs> Oh, but, Urban. We, I did a call on our Twitter account for some titles. I did So see we got that. some. Some were written by men. And I was like, guys, that yeah. might be Patreon. That might have to be. I feel like we should do Fly Girl on Patreon. We could. I feel like we have to just because I, I need to go. That was like the one Urban fic title I remember reading oh, yeah. when I was younger. I never and read I need it. To, you need to never, go back. You need to go yes. back. Like I had to go back. Yes. <laughs> and confront your past. <laughs> well, because like. I'm like, everyone loved Coldest Winter Ever, right? Uh-huh. And my, I'm in a group where they're like, well, I love this when I was in middle school. And then they go back as grown women. And, and they're like, oh, like, no. <laughs> oh, no, Winter. So I had that, or not Coldest Winter Ever, Addicted. Addicted, oh, addicted. yeah. And so I need to do that with Fly Girl, because I remember enjoying Fly Girl when I read it as like a 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. But like now, I need to see how I feel about it. As you know, a grown-ass grown. woman. Yeah. Yes. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a feeling I may not enjoy it as much. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I'm excited. It's spooky season. I love fall. I'm here for it. So, but before we get to that, we got some business to take care of. We sure do. <laughs> so what's our first thing, Molly? So, uh, surprise, we have a Patreon. What? Yes. yes. And not only do we have a Patreon, we have some patrons. I'm so happy. I was so excited to see that. I was like, guys, we won't let you down. We have like... <laughs> We have a couple now, a handful, yeah, and we're going to go ahead and thank them in this episode, because so, that's one of the levels you can get. We can get a shout out, but we want to thank Brianna L, Ellen H, Frank C, Sylvia M, and Curtis from I Found This Great Book yeah. for supporting the podcast. Yeah, thank you to our patrons. Like, honestly, we were so amazed when we found out that we had one patron. <laughs> that was the discovery. And then we found out that we had like others. And it's like, what the? Who are these people? Yeah. We don't know who you are, but you're awesome. Yeah. Well, the first one, we hadn't even launched it yet. Like, yeah. I had made the page so we would be grandfathered in. And I was like, I'll come back to this. Right. And then I came back to it and I was like, oh my God, we got a page. It's like somebody signed up. And I was like, we hadn't even promoted it anywhere. Right. So we have a couple of, um, we have a couple of patron only episodes where we're trying to, um, put some of our sillier, more off-topic. <laughs> Though I feel like our Simpsons conversation was extremely serious. <laughs> oh, we maybe took that question, too. Like, we were writing an article for The Atlantic right. about the best. <laughs> so, 
so we think we're going to do, um, uh, like Danny said, we got some uh, male author suggestions um, that we, you know, it's not the, the mission of the podcast, but um, there are we some. We got thoughts. We got thoughts. We got lots of thoughts. <laughs> uh, maybe some movies, some TV shows, um, kind of more of that off-topic stuff on the Patreon, but we'll, Patreon, but we'll still have uh, book-related content over there. So if you're interested, where can they find us, Danielle? They can find us at patreon.com slash blackchicklit. Yes. It's very pink and purple, very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> Go join the cool kids. Go sit at the cool kids lunch table and hear what they're talking about. <laughs> Yes, I love it. So this month we are, or this episode, I should say rather, we are brought to you by um, The Memory Thief by Lauren Mancy. So this, The Memory Thief is a fantasy YA title that was released on October 1st, 2019. And a little bit about it. Go ahead, Molly. Madam, the power-obsessed ruler of the city of Craywick has cultivated a society in which memories are currency, citizens are divided by ability, and gifted individuals can take memories from others through touch as they please. 17-year-old Etta Lark is desperate to live outside the corrupt culture, but grapples with the guilt of an accident that left her mother bedridden in the city's asylum. When Madam threatens to put her mother up for auction, a practice where the person's memories are sold to the highest bidder before they're killed, Etta will do whatever it takes to save her, even if it means rejoining the Shadows, the rebel group she swore off years earlier. To rescue her mother, Etta must prove her alliance to the shadows by stealing a memorized map of the formidable prison maze. Etta faces startling attacks, unexpected romance, ooh, and above all, (laughs) her own past as she uncovers a conspiracy that challenges everything she knew about herself and the world around her. Ooh, so, yes, it's a good fit for this episode. Definitely. Fantasy stuff. So, again, that title was The Memory Thief by Lauren Mancy. You can buy it on Amazon. I assume you can buy everything on Amazon. And at your <laughs> local book retailer. So, so that's, I think that's our business. Yes. Now we're getting into the book talk. And I, this is, I'm ready because I have thoughts. You have thoughts? I am so, this is like the reverse of when we read um, A Chance at Love. <laughs> when you were like sitting like I wonder what I wonder what you thought I wonder what you thought of this <laughs> like the whole time I was like Ooh, I really hope Danielle likes this book can I tell you the journey so remember when I asked that rude question on Twitter about <laughs> what your least favorite genre was yeah and like a hundred that- people were like fantasy and sci-fi <laughs> Well, and we had that one reader who was like, who went on that journey. Oh, yeah. I she think was like, I, I had that similar journey. And I was oh, like, really? I was like, I think I love fantasy because I finished this book in like eight, not 18 hours. I finished this book in like a day and a half. Damn. It's a long ass <laughs> book, too. I was like, keep going, keep going. I could not put it down. And I had had that experience recently with The Poppy War, oh, okay. which is another fantasy title. Danielle, you might be. You might be a, a fan of fantasy. That's the thought I had. I was like, oh my gosh, I think I like fantasy. Here's the thing. I still don't like wizards and shit. Like, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get down with Harry Potter. Forgive me. But like the God stuff and like all this stuff, because Poppy War was similar, except instead of like sex, it was them getting high all the time. <laughs> like that thing was like you, you convene with the gods by just doing drugs like all the time. <laughs> So, yeah, I was like, oh, my gosh, what a discovery about me. I think I like fantasy. Well, I, I feel 
powerful right now. <laughs> Vindicated. So this episode, did we say the name of the book? We read no, the book. We, <laughs> we didn't even say the name of the book. We read The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jimson. And who, go ahead. Who I love on Twitter too, by the way. Speaking of Twitter and chats, she's great. Yeah, she is great. She was great on Twitter, and the two or three times I've ever been on Twitch, I've watched her play uh, Cold Elder Scrolls. <laughs> oh, that was that was some deep knowledge, and I only sort of understood what you just said. But Real, I know true what fans will understand. <laughs> so, so she, yes. yeah, she's very interesting. She, I believe she's like the first Black author um, to win a Hugo for a novel. So yes, so Jimison was her the fifth season won the Hugo Award for Best Novel, making her the first African-American writer to win a Hugo Award in that category. Right, and I think Nettie, the year before maybe, was the first African-American female author to win any category for a oh, novella. Okay. And I, uh-huh. I was going to say, I also like how the sequels won the Best Novel for 2017 and 2018. Yep. So she like sort of stormed that category for a good three years she has completely swept it so we talked about this way back in our first i don't know our first year uh, uh-huh. we talked about because that's when we read um binti mm-hmm. and we kind of talked about nk jemison's win and how there was like this backlash from that group called the sad puppies yes and how this kind of led to the rise of um uh chuck, chuck tingle, tingle. <laughs> But I love that every year since then, Jimison has won the Hugo for Best Novel for her um, Broken Earth trilogy. She's like, come at me. And she is. She's very much like, uh, yeah, go ahead. That's fine. I'm just counting up my awards. Go ahead. I think that she's just a phenomenal writer. I I went back and forth, like, thinking if we should do this uh series because if you really like this one i think you're really gonna love the second one you know but we can we can negotiate that in 2020 um or if we should do broken earth and well uh, go ahead i was just gonna say i know broken earth because i feel like that's like her her flagship title yeah or masterpiece that's the one that most everyone seems to know of yeah Um, the fifth season is the first book in that series and that's the one everyone Mm mm-hmm and it's but this like, is her debut. This is her debut, and this one is just kind of more fun. It's a little. I feel like it's a little bit more accessible. Uh huh. And I just, I don't know. Like being so pregnant, I'm like, I don't want to read anything so sad. I want to read oh, something sad. Like, yeah, yeah. The first okay. season is pretty. Like it's very good. Like it's like if you take this, like it's like this book on steroids. But mm-hmm. I just, I have a special place in my heart for these three this collection because it it was the first that i had read over well i discovered i have the whole like i guess omnibus Mm -hmm. because it must have been on one of those you know amazon (laughs) deal of the days (laughs) and i just bought it because i'm like oh i thought i owned it and it's in my kindle saved as the inheritance trilogy not by the title of the book Uh, so i was really excited i was like "Ooh, i can keep going so we should probably get to the synopsis but yeah i just spoiler i really enjoyed it it's crazy and i'm like i think i like fantasy now and like I don't know. I was going to say, do I enjoy it because it's got the sexiness in it or do I just enjoy it because it's a good story? I think I'll, it's still a good story even with... Well, let's get into it. Let's get into uh, it. I know you, so, though. <laughs> <laughs> I can answer that. <laughs> so so here it is. So I, tell, I told Molly, I say this every time, the synopsis is terrible, but this one was extremely difficult to write because I feel like 
it's a whole new world out here for me. And we've got all these names to spell and all these gods and people to keep in order. So I really commend we- you on the spelling of these names. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I thank goodness for the book, man. Like uh, right. Kindle lets you like save things and that x-ray reader, which they sometimes have on. Sometimes they don't. So, all right, here we go. Now let's see if I can pronounce them. That's the thing. When Yene, a low-ranking noble in her home country of Dar, is called to the capital city of Skye, she's surprised to learn that her grandfather, Dakarta, has named her a possible heir to his powerful kingdom. Considering he already has two potential heirs, the, lackada- the lackadaisical... That's the word that's going to trip me up. <laughs> the lackadaisical and drunken Rilad and the ruthless and cunning Samina. This puts Yene in a dangerous position. She soon gains allies in the form of the Enifada, or those who remember Enfa. Enifa. We learned that in the beginning, there are only three gods, Nahadoth, Enifa, and Etempus. But after an event that left Enifa dead and resulted in the gods' war, Nahadoth and his children are a slave to the Aramari, the royal family of Sky, who worship Etempus as the only true god. The Enifada includes Sia, a childlike godling, Sakan, a battle godling, and Kure, a godling known for her wisdom. The Enifada revealed to Yene that they forged a deal with her mother, allowing them to plant a fragment of Enifa's soul in Yene's body. Deciding to take advantage of the upcoming ritual of succession, the group forges a plan to free the Enifada, knowing it will cost Yene her life. Trying to deal with her looming death, Yene spends her remaining days getting to know the members of her family better, including her cousin Tavril and her dead mother, and working to protect the people of her land from encroaching invaders. On the day of the ritual, the group learned they have been betrayed. Kure has told Atempus of their plan. We learn he has been hiding in plain sight, disguised in the body of Varain, the family scrivener. He kills Yene and threatens to destroy the remaining fragment of Enifa. However, due to the presence of a sacred artifact, the Stone of Earth, Yene's body reincarnates and she herself becomes a god. After she frees the Enifada, they punish Etempus by confining him to the body of a mortal and having to atone for all of the chaos that was done in his name. I don't Ooh. know today. <laughs> There's a lot going on, and it is not written in a straightforward way. No, no. It's like, it's written like she's telling this to somebody, but like she forgot some parts. Yeah. She's the back. Yeah. Let's start so. with that, because like the first time I read it, I was like, what the, f- like, <laughs> what is the structure of this novel? But this time, this is my second read. I think I understand what it is. Well, okay, so I'll say mine as yeah. someone who read it for the first time, and you clear it. From what I gather... So we know that um, Yene has part of Enifa's soul in her body. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it feels like to me, after further along I got in the book, what I gathered one moment is that she is telling this story to the other soul. Yeah, that's what I got too. So like we've got the two souls who are sort of conversing somewhere. And so she's telling the story to them. And Enifa and then, keeps interrupting her. Yes, she keeps commenting. It's like... <laughs> And, um, and so when she, the line goes back, like it's like, as Molly says, it's not linear. Sometimes we go to scenes out of order and it's because like, oh, well, before I continue on, I need to tell you how I got there. And so everything is out of order. Yeah. Which is an interesting way I feel like to tell, <laughs> especially epic fantasy, uh-huh. because it's like, there's so many characters, so much history, so much all of that. And then you have a narrator who is learning it along with you or is it uh is it like super well organized? Like a lot of the epic fantasy that I've read, it's kind of like more like plot based almost. It's like this happens and this happens and that happens. And a thousand years ago, that might have happened. But this is like everything's happening at once. And Yana is like trying to figure it out while also explaining to Enifa, um 
you know, what, what's, what happened to them when they died. Yeah. Well, cause I was thinking, I think this book takes place over the span of like a week, 10 days yeah. at most. <laughs> it's quick. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. So, so let's, let's, let's talk about it. Yana. Yana. I keep pronouncing her name different ways. Apologies. I think it's, so I listened to the audiobook this time, which helped tremendously. <laughs> <laughs> and they were pronouncing it Yana. Yana. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> Let's talk about Yana. So Yana comes from Dar. Dar. Which is a mater- which is a matriarchal society. Which is what so what did you think about? How did you feel about uh, Dar and Yana's whole country? I loved it every time she had some aside about like like every time she flipped something that we say all the time and then just sort of like flipped it like well men we're only allowing men who haven't yet become fathers are right. allowed to come and like fight or oh no he could have had beautiful daughters or something right it's like, like she's casually sexist against she, men she is and it's like it reflects our own cash our our culture's own casual misogyny absolutely like, like when she sees great. men fighting she's like damn we must have got it desperate <laughs> Well, not even a man, a little boy. A little boy. And then she yeah. was like, our, our men are precious to us. We would never <laughs> allow this to happen. Um, uh, but it's it's yeah. very interesting. So it's like way up north somewhere. And uh, they call it like the barbarian lands. Mm-hmm. And I think because, um, so it's my understanding, like, you know, way back when there were the three gods who all kind of ruled equally. And people would worship um, maybe one or two or three of them. And mm-hmm. anyone who didn't, like, stay with when they had the gods war and a tempest, Brady Tempest was the one who won. Um, anyone who didn't follow him or hadn't already been following him exclusively was considered, like, a barbarian. Yeah. And the, they call them darklings. Darklings. Which I was like, ooh. <laughs> which is like, ooh, testy. <laughs> That's spicy. Um, and because they had their own customs, they kind of had to, like, they talk about this where she goes into a temple in her homeland and they literally, like, covered up, like, mm-hmm. you know, imagery or iconography of the other gods. Um, and in addition to that, they have some pretty wild customs. Like the, uh, what did you think of the coming of age ceremony that she had to go through? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, is she, is this a, like a, who can rape whom first? Is that what it is? It kinda, I was like, oh. It kind of seemed like it. Like basically they go, they take a young woman. She has to go out into the jungle and survive for a month. And then when she comes back, she has to fight this dude. And if she loses, she's raped in front of everyone. But if she wins, she kills the dude because he was weak anyway. Yeah. And that was a that was apparently them a tame ceremony <laughs> compared to what was done in the past, where they would just go and like haul off and abduct men right. and then circumcise them. <laughs> and then like and make then, them like, their husbands. <laughs> yes. I was like, this is wild. Yeah, so it was definitely interesting. Like, I think one of the traps in uh epic fantasy is sometimes like the main character comes from like this perfect pastoral place kind of like a hobbit town i forget the bar i can't remember where the hobbits lived i'm sorry mid-earth middle earth Uh, i was thinking star trek where everything is just like perfect right yeah but she comes from a place that like obviously has some issues (laughs) um and so she uh 
she becomes the leader of this place. And I think not, I think the issue that they have with her is it's not through her mother's bloodline, it's through her father's bloodline. Um, because her mom was this foreigner, this uh, Aramary. Yes. And then, her, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say her grandfather's daughter, well, duh, but uh, it's her grand, it's her mother's father who calls her to Sky right. to join the people on the high mountain. Right. And so they're basically like the people who rule over these hundred thousand kingdoms because they were, I don't know if you got the uh, appendices in this. I did. And you know what? I was mad because you know what? I needed that glossary at the beginning of the book. I'm like, what the? <laughs> Why? And I guess I could have looked at my table of contents, but I didn't. But I was mad when I flipped the last page and there was a glossary of all the words and terms I really needed back in chapter like four and five. Yeah, that's fair. So yes, it also came with the appendices with like the um the heret- heretical writing and the, I can't remember what the second one was, like the write-up of the God's War. And then there was another, I'm flipping through now. But yes, I had those. Yeah, they are definitely helpful. So they kind of explain, you know, that there were these three gods and that uh, when there was this God's War, this human priestess um, helped out uh, the guy who won. And so he basically blessed all her late ancestors to um descendants right descendants yeah not her ancestors <laughs> all her descendants to uh, rule over everyone else and so it's essentially like the structure the hierarchy of this this uh i don't know what you call it culture is the closer you are to the main branch of this family like the closer blood ties you have to this original mm-hmm. priestess the more power you wield so yeah. yena is a direct descendant of the current leader but her mother was disowned because she went and married this barbarian man. <laughs> so she's been living out in the jungle, swinging through trees like her cousin says at one point, <laughs> when she's called back to Sky, kind of her ancestral, like the seat of her uh, family's power to take part in this succession ritual. Now, this is where the book took a turn because I was really expecting it to be these two Rilad and Samina basically becoming like an all out, like, you know, assassin, like trying to kill each other. Yeah. Like, like them trying to kill her. Part of it. Like the whole, like, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, well, not, not really, because Samina's like, well, no, he, you don't have a chance. In oh, I, uh, that's what you thought it was going to be. Like the story was going to be. Yeah, I thought it was going to be. Yeah. yeah, full on in like politics, both of them plotting against her. Maybe someone like, first, well, Rilad, we learned early on, it's just kind of like, I'm over. Well, I think he knows. He's not built for this shit. Yeah. So we don't see much of him for like a lot of the book. And Samina is sort of like, well, I already got this locked in. She doesn't see uh, Yene as a threat at all, Mm -mm. at least not in the way I thought she would. So that was sort of like, I was glad it didn't go that route. I'm just going to say that because that would have felt really cliche. Yeah. She walked up and now it's like, oh, I've got these two cousins trying to kill me. Yeah, it definitely takes a more interesting turn. Like I know that um, when, when, um, Game of Thrones, the show ended, there were like a hundred thousand listicles saying like, oh, <laughs> uh, you just finished Game of Thrones. Uh, what's, you want to get into high fantasy or, you know, epic fantasy, what should you read? And so N.K. Jemison was like on almost every single list. And I remember people were saying, well, uh, you know, the fifth season, 
and the Inheritance Trilogy, it's like the next Game of Thrones. It's the next Game of Thrones. And so she came out and said, it's not really because she described her writing as being like more sensual and stranger, which I think is definitely um, apparent in this book. I think that if it had been, you know, these three cousins kind of like vying for power and like court intrigue and all that stuff, then yes, it would have been very similar to something like Game of Thrones, but this takes like a hard left turn almost no, immediately. It sure does. <laughs> Do we want to talk about uh, Rilad and Samina anymore? I, I like Samina's character a lot. She freaked me the fuck out. I felt really bad. I was, I will say this. Uh-huh. This is all I have to say about it. I was sad when Rilad died. I was like, poor bro. Like, <laughs> he was set up knowing he was going to die from the get go because he knew as soon as his sister got into power, he was going to be murdered. Yeah. And like, and then he had a little sliver. <laughs> Yes, he had a little sliver of hope, and then she took her chance. Everybody, everything went into chaos. She's still like, I'm going to kill this fool. Yeah, and so, it's like, yeah. there's just, like, so many, like, little touches that make it so creepy. Like, when she, when Raylat is first introduced, he's with, like, these two, I don't know what you call women. I don't know, like, exactly, oh, that's right. exactly what their role is, but they're basically, like, draped over him, and it's kind of like, you know, are they about to have sex? I don't know. And then, like, uh, him and Yana talk, and when she walks away, she's like, wait a second, they look exactly like his fucking sister. Okay, we gotta talk about the incest in this book. <laughs> there, so, yes. <laughs> this so, book is all, all incest all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> so, so okay. from the gods to the people in that castle, mm-hmm. like, and they're just like, yeah, well, it's hard to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> Yeah, so it's like the interesting thing about the three gods is, so I guess we should talk a little bit about how they were formed. It's like there's this big maelstrom, apparently. Yes. I just picture picture a big dark cloud. I was too, like maybe like some, you know, bolts of lightning every once in a while. (laughs) So that's going on for like eons and eons. And then the first god just pops out, Nahado. And he's basically the god of uh, darkness. Um, so he, I imagine, and this is going to totally show my nerd flag and you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to go with it. But have you ever seen or read Death Note? No. Yeah. So I can't. (laughs) Well, for those in the know, he kind of reminded me of the, uh, I can't remember his name. And we literally, I just literally watched this whole, it's an anime. I know it's an anime, and I know it was a really bad Netflix remake. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's why we did it. We watched the Netflix one, and I was, like, so personally offended. I was, like, to my husband, I was, like, we have to watch. I was, like, I know I'm not going to get you to read it, but we have to watch the original because this is an affront to my sensibilities. But there's basically, like, kind of a demon character in that called Ryuk, and I... Imagine Nahado as like a sexy Ryuk, though. <laughs> How do you spell Ryuk? Because I'm looking this R-Y-U-K. up. R Y U K. And you know what? You're gonna see some stuff. This is not the face I'm imagining. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Help me! Help me make this sexy, mom. <laughs> so imagining that kind of aesthetic, like all in black. He's got like this like long ass hair that like 
doubles as like a cloak, but it's also like shadows and stuff. And I guess it can also turn into like whatever body part you want while you're having sex. <laughs> we, learned that. we learned that. Um, but he's basically like this, you know, kind of nebulous. His face is all, it's interesting. Like she says, his face is always shifting until like, almost he like sets a trap for you. Like he finds like the face you'll find most attractive. And then that's the one he wears. And he's just like, he's for being like basically the God of darkness. He's super chill. (laughs) Most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. I was surprised by how like not evil and like, chill he was yeah i guess i picture like he kept switching in my head first i sort of had like a black loki yeah then he was not black sometimes or so first i had loki but then he does turn black so i was like okay loki if played by idris elba (laughs) i guess so like Like it was basically loki was the aesthetic i was working on right and i think that that's just it's like whoever you know bad boy (laughs) it's i think a testament to like the character she created it's like who do you think is hot okay go for it (laughs) Because I can see, like, a sexy Idris Elba with, like, you know, some kind of, like, weird cloak on or something. I don't really know. Some dreads. It's just, like, whatever, whatever, you know? (laughs) Um, Whatever does it for you. (laughs) It's interesting that you say the thing about skin and if he was black or not. Because it kind of reminds me of something that we talked about in, uh, or something that I read when we read Benti. And if you can remember way back went to Benty when she's on this spaceship and um there's a lot more like colorism is a more important I think aspect in Benty than it is in 100,000 Kingdoms it definitely shows up Mm -hmm. in this but it's it's not quite the same structure as it is in you know reality so I kept like going back and forth I was like well what are their actual skin colors but I think that uh it's like interesting because, and I think Nettie said this when she wrote it, the people who kind of hated Binti's people um, were lighter skinned, and sh- uh, people took that to mean that they were white and Binti's people were black. Ah. And she said, "No, that's not how I meant it." And I don't know. If she said like everyone was black, but she's like, you know, get that construct out of your mind. Yeah. In this, I kind of get the sense that everyone is black, even though, like, some of them are, like, really light-skinned. Oh, I was going to ask you, Uh because I had this thought. So I rank books when I put them on Goodreads, like, by representation, Mm -hmm. because I like to keep a track. And I was like, if it is a book that doesn't take place, like, on our Earth Uh and, like, in our reality, does the confines of, like, black and white and, like, how we see it, would that does that even matter? Does it count? I don't know. I guess. Because it did. I guess I'm. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I guess on some level, seeing people with dark skin being, like, the leaders of stories does count. Like, just the visual. Like, seeing people who look like you. But, like, I'm like, do I count that as, like, representation for, like, black people when they're, like, fictional characters? Like, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely, like, something that I think science fiction and fantasy um, has played with a long time. And I think that Mm -hmm. it's something that, like, these uh, newer writers and... You know, it goes back to uh, Octavia Butler. Like, it's not, like, a totally new thing. But yeah, uh, that more diverse and more thoughtful writers have played with for forever. So it's like you think back to, like, classic science fiction fantasy, like uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, right? <laughs> it's like, or it, is it the time machine, I think? The time machine. 
and the guy goes back in time and like there's like all these like blonde like danish looking people right. it's like all white people right living on the surface of the earth and they're terrorized by these horrible like dark skin oh, <laughs> monsters God. that come up out of the earth and it's kind of like okay yes those like monsters are not black people but it's like look at this aesthetic like right look at the message that you're saying here and i think that the like you know these other writers have been responding to that um for a long time even like your beloved star trek like <laughs> you know one of the people with the wrinkly foreheads klingons they're all dark skin right are they were all they were it's weird yeah well, some of them, but yes, they have like a darker aesthetic because they tend to be played by black people. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, this idea of whiteness being not white people, but still the norm, the default, I think right. has, it, it kind of warps our, our thinking of this because it's like, Yena, I went back and forth and I was like, well, they're calling her a darkling, but does she have typically like darker features it was really hard to suss out what some of these characters look like yeah like and so but no i just thought it was interesting i assumed she was black because of the way um i don't it just i don't know why i assumed she was black other than the fact i guess the book was written by a black person yeah but then i also assumed like naha was black even though they literally say he has like skin like moonlight or like the moon or whatever Okay, so here's the thing about Nahad. I was going to say, I thought she was black because the Dari people are, some, when she sees an attractive Dari man, when he when Nahad is on the face of a Dari man who's attractive, he's dark-skinned. That's true. And Nahadoth, I assumed, some, he kept changing in my head. So when they said he was pale like the moon, I was literally like, oh, he's glowing because he's a super uh... supernatural being. So he'd be pale like, like I know there's some anime reference for it that I could probably pull up, but I can't think of one. <laughs> but I figured he was glowing. And then when he found someone, he found what they like, he would shift his visage so like there was a point where i think he does take on darker skin like when they're at that ball oh yeah i think he is like he has darker skin when he's at that ball pretending or maybe it's not maybe because she says he just looks handsome he's just some guy but he takes on multiple faces i wanted to also sort of talk about naha oh yeah because i don't think naha is black i think he takes on like whatever you know the aramary right considered who are, and they're blonde. We know they're blonde. They're light-colored eyes. But do they have curly hair? Like, they have kinkier hair, right? Because Yena, I think she's talking about how she has straighter hair. Yeah, that's good. The, the, the Dari warriors have long, straight hair. And she tried to grow her hair out once, and that one friend of hers was talking shit. She was like, no. like a bush. <laughs> she was like, no, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't... And maybe... And, you know, it doesn't have to line up perfectly. Yeah. I think it's... Yeah. I think the that features, that's... Yeah, like you're saying, it's the point. Like, it's... They're different, you know? It's not mm-hmm. based on her. That's, like, wholly imagined. Can we uh, talk about Nahado's wholeness for just a... His what? His wholeness? Wholeness. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like... She, I, I mean, that is you. how we started this. We want to talk about the other two gods, too, because, yes. like, they were wild. We could, I mean, you can't, I don't think you could talk about the wholeness without talking about the other two gods, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I had a question for you. When she's, sometimes Yana, Yana will be sitting there, and she'll be talking to Ado, and all of a sudden she's hit with, like, lust. She's, like, horny. She's thirsty, <laughs> like, just out of nowhere. Like, dying of thirst. And I'm like, is he doing that to her? Is he, like, sending, like... 
some kind of super like is that a manipulation you think that he is doing this on purpose to try and like or is he surprised by it too i could not figure it out i don't know i don't know if it has something to do with the fact that maybe he's like responding to anifa's soul in her uh maybe it's like just that's his nature but then they also spend a lot of time saying like he bends to people's wills so it's kind of like i don't know if he would be so like such a thirst trap if she wasn't like thirsty for him does that make sense it does yeah so it's probably like a little of each yeah like is he just so like maybe she is thirsty and he's just taking advantage (laughs) of this opening maybe maybe i mean like the the one thing so he's like as the god of darkness he's like also the god of like change and like chaos Mm -hmm. and he kind of like his worshippers they talk about like how people worship them like they were the party people like they would they sound great they sound sounds all right like if i was gonna pick one of these people to like you know worship Worship. i'd be like not all the way (laughs) um so he uh um he's He's, like, this guy, like, chaos and, like, you know, just going what you feel like. Everybody's thirsty. <laughs> Free love. Free love. And then it's, like, he... Uh, well, let's let's talk about the other two, and then we can talk about, like, their current predicament. Yes. So he was up there in the maelstrom for, like, ever and ever, just, like, hanging out in the, the storm clouds. And then uh, his brother... <laughs> pops out bright a tempest what were your thoughts about a tempest uh bright i was not a fan of bright a tempest he wasn't on the page well i mean we secretly (laughs) learned he was but he as a character wasn't on the page for all that much not as much as like nahadoth and his children were Mm -hmm. um i don't like it's weird that there's a guy who's against change like (laughs) who wants to keep things static Uh which is just an odd character trait their relationship (laughs) Their relationship was wild. Yeah, it felt like the Greek gods. Like, they were fighting all the time, and then after they stopped fighting, I guess they were fucking, I guess. No, they, I don't even think there was a kiss about it. I think that's a Tempest's, like, whole thing. That is his M.O. Yeah, and so then they, and then I think he seems very jealous and very controlling and very, like, he's, I like how it kind of flips, going back to what we said, he's clearly the bright, shiny, like, the one you think would be the good, but he's not. He's sort of the one that's sort of slightly rotten at the core and a little bit more right. he, he's less dastardly yeah bright like bright does not mean good white does not mean good light does not mean good he's sort of the evil twin of this whole thing yeah so it's like i can i guess forgive some of the sexual weirdness if you're like the only two things <laughs> in, the inter- uh, in the universe <laughs> except for this big maelstrom but he it, it's very interesting one thing that i really liked was um so yena kind of comes to this realization that she is part of these she has a connection to these three when she goes into a library and she sees like the three um images right. of the gods and she talks about how she's always seen this guy bright of tempest featured with aramary features mm-hmm. but when he shows up at the end he's like he's like he's uh, darker almost like an egyptian yeah. yeah like black skin like all gold like and he he doesn't look anything like them so i thought that that was kind of an interesting i like that play i like that a lot i thought it was an interesting play on you know how they've kind of like twisted this this religion to make 
the air Mary make themselves essential yeah, to, to it. Themselves. And like how Yene has yeah. a little shot, like, ooh, they'd probably be really upset to see that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he is not, he is not in it. Um, we think <laughs> we find out that, uh, one of the other characters who I think we'll get to is like him in secret. So he's been spying on everyone. But I, I kind of like that, that he wasn't, you know, everyone kept talking about him. Everyone kept saying he was so important and how godly and wonderful he was. And at the end, he shows up and he's just like totally nuts, super yeah, mad. He's crazy. <laughs> and then we have Inifa, who I guess yeah. he resents sort of as like an interloper. Like he had a good thing going on with him and Nahado. He had a good thing. Him, Nahado, they were up in the maelstrom, like just having fun. And then it seems like they were together like a super long time. Right. She's much younger. Yeah. She comes out and she's, again, I thought this was an interesting place. So he's the god of like order and light. And then, um, you know, they complement each other very well. Mm -hmm. But then there's this third god that comes like super later, who's uh, Inifa, the god of life, death, and twilight. I guess like the and dawn, the, yeah, the in between times, sun, light, light and dark, were like both. So maybe like that element of balance, yeah, create like creation and like destruction, yeah. all this stuff. But she's the one who really gets like things going, things popping. <laughs> she's like, she's like, why do we have this big empty space? We could put this chair here. We could put this planet here. We could put these nice mortals over up. here. Yeah, we could we could spruce this place up. And yes. I guess uh, a tempest, not a fan. Not a fan. So Humans she, are messy, man. I get it. Right? <laughs> She's kind of like, hey, I got this cool trick. I can create, like, mortal life. <laughs> <laughs> but she's kind of like, I need, like, you guys to help me. So she goes to, she knows she can't go to a Tempest because he's, like, not, he's like, like you said, mortals are messy. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to fuck with that. But she goes to Nahadov and he's like, hey, yeah, I'm into this shit. Like, let's do it. <laughs> and that's how they create, like, the godlings, like they're their children. Yes. Oh, we have to talk about them. My favorite. Sia. Sia. I love Sia. The narrator's voice. So I read this while I listened to it. So I did both. Uh-huh. I love the narrator's voice. She had a good kid voice. She had a good kid voice, definitely. Um, he would sound petulant. He would sound whiny. I was like, what yeah. And when like, he got older, like she would modulate her voice and yeah. stuff. I thought she did a really good job. So he's their first kid. And let me tell you, I read this maybe, the first time I read this was maybe like three years ago or so. Uh-huh. And then reading it again while I was pregnant, like while being pregnant, like I had like a totally different, like, I was like, whoa, this is like some, I don't know, like it just brought in motherhood and like uh, parent and child relationships in a way that I hadn't even like thought about the first time. Yeah. So he's like this perpetually like young God, even though he's technically the fourth oldest thing in the whole universe. (laughs) And he really looks to Yena sort of like, he knows Enifa's soul is in there. So he's sort of attached to Yena as a motherly figure. Like immediately he wants to be near her. He wants to be touching her. Like, he's like, I want to sleep in your bed. He's like always petting her. Kind of like the way like a child, like a young kid, like wants to be close to their mom. And the first time when I read it before I like, knew that twist i was like the fuck is up with this little weird (laughs) but then it hits you it's like oh he's like reacting like that's literally like his mom's soul like come back yeah because one of the other gods zircon is like constantly telling Ana, listen stop 
stop hurting him. You're like, uh, yeah, yeah. She tells him to like get your shit together. Stop being mean to him. He sees you sort of as a maternal figure. And Gabe is kind of like, why? <laughs> <laughs> but then it makes sense. And then I like the thing that so um, Sia has all these like uh, he when he first sees her, it's kind of like a game. She's running from Nahadoth because Samina has set. Nahadoth on Yena. And he's like, <laughs> she's like, why don't you kill her? Because uh, I know we're like all over the place, but basically. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, uh, after this God's War, where Tempest killed Inafa, and then Nahadoth and his Inafa's kids uh-huh. come and try to kill a Tempest, but they lose. And so they, whoops, they are enslaved and put into these mortal bodies. And they basically have to do literally everything that, um, uh, what's her name's descendants tell them to do. I was like, really, so like, I really liked the idea of how the family had to be really careful on how they worded shit. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a monkey's paw kind of thing. Yeah. Like if you tell them like. Oh, go to hell! They're like, oh, you want you want to you want us yeah. both to go to hell? Yeah, yeah. it's like if you say to hell with you, then it's like they would literally like drag you both to hell. Yeah, so it was just I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. so they're enslaved to the family, and they kind of treat them in like the, these really like shitty ways. Like Samina, terrible. Keeps Naha, who is like Nahado's like human form during the like, day. A, during the day, like, on a literal leash, and is just, like, sleeping with them constantly. Can we talk about this? Like, just Let's talk about it. <laughs> if I were in the position where there were a bunch of very powerful, very old gods enslaved by my family, I would be polite as fuck, because you never know. Right. You never know what happens the day those bitches get loose. Right. And they get freed, and they decide to take their vengeance. You want them to... Like, oh, there's that chick who, like, at least didn't, you know, spit on me or, like, right. make me clean up shit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. She goes full crazy sadistic enslaver. Right. And I think, like, that's, it, it makes her such an interesting character because even when she is, like, uh, like, there's a scene where she's, like, beating poor little Sia or something. Yes, he's an old man. <laughs> he's, like, I, an old man. And, like, Yeda, de- like, describes how... Like, she does not, like, Samina does not give a fuck because she doesn't see them as worthy. Like, she's so steeped in her own privilege of having, like, this Aramary heritage that right. she, in her mind there's, like, nothing that they can do to hurt her. So, like, yes, looking from the outside and when Yena is kind of like, well, they're weapons, Samina, like, just doesn't even see it that way. She's like, well, this is just my tool that I can use however the fuck I want to. And it, it was just wild for me. And then Naha was an interesting character because he seems to hate Yena. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's got it kind of rough. He did. When she described that thing, like, could you imagine, like, disappearing for, like, going into oblivion at night and waking up, like, maybe next to a corpse? Right. Maybe next to a smoking ruin? Right. I'm so like, basically, yeah. Naha can't do anything during the day. He's basically, like comatose and so this guy Naha who's his mortal like body yeah is just kind of like literally cleaning up his messes (laughs) during the day like um there is a scene later which I'm sure we'll get to where Yena and Naha uh 
you know, get physical. <laughs> we, can, we can just get to it now because I don't know what else. Because, what else? Well, because draws next to that, like, her lust, like, so basically... This is a story, I was trying to look at, like, the themes, and I guess the uh-huh. themes for Nado is, like, how lonely everyone is. All of this is started because everyone, at least the gods, are are lonely. She looks at Bridie Tempest and when she's in her god form, and she's like, at his core, he's just a, it's like a really deep, severe loneliness. Nahadoth is lonely because he doesn't have any equals, or anyone who sees him as equals. Sia wants his mother. The other two, the other two godlings aren't as well- developed i think the most she says about zakan is that she would be miserable if there was no there's no war happening Mm. so like this whole thing is about like relationships and how lonely everyone is and how so i thought it was really interesting that like that was his her way to subdue this demon powerful god was just like (laughs) be nice to him and not die when they have sex yeah. Which was wild. I got really lost in that scene. I was like, I didn't even know. I was like, is this happening metaphysically? Is this yeah. happening physically? Like, is this a reality? It's like and they're fucking it, all over the cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> she comes to it like the bed is in pieces. And I was like, oh, so they really crash landed on that bed. Yeah. It's like the bookshelf is like splintered. <laughs> it's the like the whole room is like just destroyed. Because <laughs> at first I thought it was like all like an interpretive thing. And then it was like, oh no, that room is trashed. trashed. They had to get Sia to like restore it. <laughs> right. And Which, then like, she wakes up and Naha, Naha has like given her a bath and put yeah. her in like a robe. And he's like, made her some tea. He's like, girl. I'm just glad you're alive. <laughs> he's like, patting her cheek. He's like, wake up, Gator. <laughs> My favorite is when Sia, like, she's trying to apologize for sleeping with Nado the Sia. He's like, please don't tell me you took advantage of <laughs> And when she says it in her little kid voice, because <laughs> I picture this like as a movie and just imagine like some child action. He's like, come on. Come on. I know what happened. Um, so, so, yeah. so like they form this connection. I think that's one of the reasons she was able to, um, I think it sort of hints that she herself, I don't know, maybe this is just me because of who she was as a person, not just because she had NFA's soul in her, but who she was as a person was sort of what gave her the power to, you know, ally with these gods and eventually become not the chosen, but become a new God. I don't know yeah. how to refer to her. Yeah. I No, I think that's definitely true. Like I think that, um, cause she's kind of a passive character up until she like makes the decisions that she does toward the end. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she I is kind it, of whiny for me. She's like, I've got six days left. I spent <laughs> half of them in bed. Yeah. Just crying. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, I get it. Same. Like, but at the same time, yeah, she uh, she does do a lot of things like with her like few remaining days that are kind of like, come on, girl, we gotta. She gotta make with a her it. Yes, let's talk about. Okay, so we've talked about we've the talked gods. about the three main gods. We talked about Sia. There are two other. They call them Enafada. So those are like Nahadoth and Enafa's kids, and mm-hmm. they're the ones that allied with him. Now, there are a whole bunch of other godlings who are, like, at a different plane. Oh, okay. Um, we can get to them later. But the other two are Kure and, um, what is the other one? Jakan, the battle Jakan, one. the battle one. And Kure is, like, this, like, old, bitter-ass this woman. <laughs> this, like, hater who works in the library. She is disrespectful from day one. From day, from the second Yana shows up, she's like, the fuck you doing here? <laughs> 
what do you want in this library? And I'm mad because she ruins it for everybody. She does, but it's like, I understand, like, why she did it. Because she, like, she hates humans. Like, they've enslaved her for, like, centuries. That's true, I guess. And it's like, she's just, she wants to be free. She wants, like, all this suffering to stop. She doesn't trust Jada because, like, why? (laughs) Um, But, yes, she is ultimately the one who betrays them at the end. Um, And we're not guaranteed, like, I get the hint at the end that he, because she betrays them because she made a deal with the Tempest that she would be freed if she helped him to uncover this plot. I get the feeling he wasn't going to free her ass. Yeah. And it's interesting because she's the goddess of wisdom. Yes. But she acts so foolish. (laughs) Gosh, we're all just walking ironies around here. And then uh, Jakarin, who I actually really liked. And like in the, um, so uh, all this time, like Yana's like tripping and she's seeing like all these <laughs> like ancestral men- memories and stuff. And I always like when she goes back and she sees Jakarin like in her full like kind of like battle regalia. She's got like these big golden rings and like a helm like all inscribed with like God's language and stuff. And I was like, damn, a badass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she but was they pretty cool. They don't play too too big of a role. Yeah. I didn't know if maybe she comes back in one of the other books. I don't remember either of them playing a big role. So, well, one of them I think it's killed. Like Kure. Well, I yeah. Yeah, it kills her right off. Yeah, she like, kills her. Clean up that mess. She's like, "No loose ends." <laughs> <laughs> um, so those are basically the gods who are running around. But then there's a host of like human characters. Yes. So we talked about um, her grandfather, Father Descartes. Who she suspects for the longest time is the one who killed her mother. Right, which is definitely interesting because she does not, like, hide her contempt for him. Right, and neither one of like, them. <laughs> <laughs> right? And he's like, you, you get the sense, like, even this time I had kind of forgotten, like, all the twists at the end. So I was like, oh, yeah, I think he killed her. Um, but he, so he had uh, her mother... Um, what was the mom's Kenneth? name? Kenneth. And that was like his only child with his like beloved wife who died very early. I think when Kenneth was like five or something. Yes. And you don't really know why at the beginning. And so it kind of seemed like he doted on her and then she betrayed him by marrying this barbarian guy and then leaving. He, the story goes that she came back when Yena was a child mm-hmm. and he, that was when he officially disowned her and said she was no longer the heir. She was no longer his daughter. Um, and then she leaves. It's all very mysterious. <laughs> um, but when Yena's there, he's got like this, it's very strange because for the longest time, it's like this push and pull. Like he seems to hate her, but he did bring her back and he's giving her like equal status to the other heirs. And you just, you don't know why. So what were your first thoughts about Dakarta? Well, at first I thought, I didn't think she had a real chance to be perfectly. Well, I don't know. So at first I thought maybe it was sort of a thing where he was like, wanted to do make for, make up for the past. Like I'll bring in my daughter. My, my daughter is gone, but I'll bring in my granddaughter mm-hmm. to try and see. Or maybe it was done as punishment to the two other cousins he doesn't hate. I thought it was all some political game. Then I think what it really hit on to me is it eventually came on was uh, we learned she suspects that he killed her. We sort of get the hint later on that he 
didn't. And he is just as impacted by her murder as yeah. as Yene was. And then we learn later that he suspected that she did it. Right. And so he brings her there to try and suss her out to determine what her role was in her mother's death. In the in the intro of that, before I realized the politics, they sort of reveal that they need a sacrifice, quote unquote, mm-hmm. for this ritual of succession. So it's sort of like, I sort of just assumed, oh, he brought this, and going back, this messy loose end from his daughter's like dalliance mm-hmm. to come and be a sacrifice for his real heir. And so that's right. why I sort of thought the whole point was. Yeah. But then he sort of explains he wants to suss her out just as much as she wants to figure out. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite scenes is when she goes and confronts him. It's like the only time when Yena and Dakarta like have a one-on-one scene uh-huh. and she like accuses him of killing the mother and she can kind of see like how hurt he is by that. Cause it's like, it threw, it threw me completely off. Like the first time I read it, I was like, Oh shit. Maybe he didn't kill her. Well, cause it's good because you sort of get like, it's like, it feels like it's the only scene in the book where he's really honest yeah, about his intentions, about his emotions. Cause they're all kind of crafty. Everyone in this, everyone in this palace is shifty. Shifty They all want something. Yeah. Right. And so so it's like, we get to see more of like, you get this sense that Yena comes in with an idea of who her mother was. Mm -hmm. Like she has this. Yeah. It's challenged. It's, it's challenged. Like her memories of her mom are like her getting like all the kids in the palace, like toys for, you know, earth day or soul day or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And like, she has a scene where they're taking a bath and like she piles her hair up with the suds or something. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's very sweet. But then it's like every single person is like, no, your your mom mom was ruthless. Your mom was ruthless. Your mom was crazy. And it seems like they all admired her a lot for that, especially Dakarta. And so she, she's like, you struggling. Like, well, is it really in my nature then to be this manipulative and crafty and, evil and that's something that she struggles with when she reassesses like her mother can we you sort of hint to this and i want to talk about the mystery over her mother's death i thought was really well done because like i was taking the whole ending like those last maybe three chapters just like i was it was a whirlwind i was not expecting anything that happened but it all fit it all like, pieces together from yeah. like literally the very beginning. There's nothing that feels like, oh, that's a that's a Hail Mary. You know what I mean? Like it all yeah. made sense. Cause we learned so we were gonna talk about some of the humans and some of mm-hmm. the other human or one of another important human in the family is Bahrain, mm-hmm. who's like the family scrivener or the family musician. Basically they are humans who learn the God's language so that they can use it for like mortal purposes, for the right. family's Basically for the family's evil purposes. Right. And like he does a lot of the the blood marks on everyone's forehead that tells them how close they are. And he can like he he's the one who tortures Nahadoth using a spell. Right. So he's really shifty. We learned that he had, as a young scrivener, actually fallen in love with Yene's mother. Right. And it's like he so it's interesting how this is told because in the very first the very first time we hear about it. He's like trying to, you know, chum up to Yena, and he's yeah, like, "Hey, was, you need an escort for this ball." It was well, not right. <laughs> it was like weird. He's like, I, "I went out with your mother, so 
That's, and that's, that's, thing that's the, listen, that is not in any way going to sway any woman to be like, oh, well, you were good enough for my mom. I don't know why he thought that would be good. Right. Well, because he's actually not. I know. But I mean, like, look at who he actually was. That's true. But I was like, what's the age difference here? And I like that Sia, like in his dismissive childish way, he's like, well, he's not your father. So I don't know what you're <laughs> worried so he comes up and he reveals it's first revealed that um you know they had this relationship and so yena's like okay well what the fuck does that mean she goes back and she finds like some letters that her parents wrote and they're like some missing yeah and she's like trying to piece it all together and it, it seems when it's initially told that kenneth was you know this kind of wild child who um did what she wanted she had this relationship with Varane because he was kind of an outsider. He was like this smart, cool dude. <laughs> and eventually he left she left for Yena's father. So that's the first time the story's told. But it turns out it's not quite <laughs> like Varane was not quite being honest. Surprise. And Kenneth was not quite being honest. Double surprise. And it's These like shifty she was people. Shifty. She was she kind of seduced him and used him. Because she recognized that he was this powerful Scrivener. Mm-hmm. And she had this plan that um, you kind of hinted to. When someone succeeded to the head of the family, they have to make, they have to sacrifice basically the person that they love most to show how ruthless they are. Mm-hmm. So when her father succeeds, um, he sacrifices her mother. And when Kenneth finds this out, it becomes her singular focus to kind of... Uh, Avenge her mother. Avenge her mother. So every decision that she makes along the way is then, once you learn that, is like uh, revealed. It's like shining light on all of her decisions. And she's not like this innocent person. Like she's (laughs) extremely ruthless. I mean, this whole plan is a masterpiece. Like, could you imagine trying to take revenge (laughs) on your father and then your daughter ends up becoming a god? Right. Like, (laughs) like your move. Your move. She's like, beat that. So um, she was taking advantage of uh, and Varane, like, figured this out, and that kind of plays into the ending. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the other human characters. Let's talk about my favorite, Treville. 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 I didn't know how to read him at first, but he quickly becomes, like, her only, like, human ally yeah. in the palace. And so this is why I thought... So, he has red hair. That's the thing that stands out about him. That's the only feature of his I can remember. That and the spots that she keeps saying. She's like, oh, he got spots. And then he's like, they're freckles, you barbarian. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Well, she sees these spots because, like, one night as they, like, attempt to comfort each other, they sleep together. And yeah. that's where we get the really, like, casual line of, like... He's like, it's well, Sky, cousin. Yes. It's like, well, we're relatives. He's like, it's Sky, cousin. I'm like, oh. It's like, oof, oof. There's a lot going on here. His place in the palace is weird, too, because he's technically a full blood. But because his parents were not married and his father sort of, I guess, molested, raped his mother, he doesn't get like claim to legitimacy. Yeah. So he's like, what, a half blood? Yeah. Yeah. And so he hangs and he has this sort of middle in between where he's a high ranking half blood. So he hangs out with a lot of the main family members but he's still cool and down with a lot of like the quarter blood and eighth blood family members right and he's kind of like the head butler almost yeah yeah yeah, that's a good way to put it the steward of the family yeah and so he he's like the first one that we're really introduced to 
Um, and he's kind of showing her around and he's kind of stuffy at first. Um, but, and it's interesting because a lot of people initially come out like they're, uh, um, friends. And then most of them are revealed to like, totally like be against her, plotting against her. Yeah. And Treville is like, maybe him and Sia are the only ones who don't have like some ulterior motive. <laughs> some ulterior motive. So he he like shows her around. He takes her to this party, which is I another love scene party. I love. <laughs> I love the party scene. I love the fact that they have like this bubble so that the high rankings can't come and gawk at them. Yeah. Which I'm like, yeah. Which was another it was just a cool thing about class. Yeah. And I love the fact that she goes to the party and this rando like turns her around, mistakes her for a boy. He's like, John, what's up? And, and then, then she's like, oh. instantly awkward. Instantly awkward. You're not supposed to be here, Yena. But we should talk about maybe Sky the Palace a little bit. It's uh, like. The name confused me for a good three chapters. I was like, wait, what? It's like, are they in the sky? And it's also the name of the capital city. Yes. So, so. it's basically this floating fortress yes like, totally made by magic uh see all the rooms are round all the rooms just are wasteful. round <laughs> wasteful just like high modern <laughs> lots <sighs> of whites <laughs> um see so i can kind of manipulate the walls and the rooms to make like false spaces mm-hmm. and like hidden passages and it's like elevators controlled by magic and all this yeah. stuff and so what he does is he creates, like, this big, like, almost, like, field in the middle of it. And he puts, like, houses there that represent all the different um, regions where the servants are coming from. Uh-huh. Because I don't think we talked about this, but everyone who works there is a descendant of that original priestess. Which is so... Which is really be fucked bullshit. Up. You imagine, like, having to, like, serve your family members just because you're, like you know, once removed or something. Right. It's like you have to go and you have to serve because they, it's like you kind of, at first it's like, oh, you know, we all have to serve a Tempest, but it's really like a power control thing. So if they ever need like one of these people from the bloodline, they're all there. They've got a bunch of spares. Right. The farther away you are from that, that central bloodline, like the less ranking you have, and you're basically like this, uh, other type of slave like working there your whole life and Treville is really the one who kind of embodies that uh that message because he knows like there's this scene where she says like he knows that he's as smart um as uh Samina and probably smarter than Rolot <laughs> <laughs> and he knows that he's like could be a better leader but because of his uh you Rank. know his rank, his mixed bloodline, like he'll never ever get a chance. And there's a scene that later we kind of talked about where uh, uh, Samina wants to get some information out of Yena. And so Samina's whole thing is like, whatever you love, she's going to come after. And she figures out that uh, she loves uh, Sia. So she's like just beating the shit out of it with like this baton. I don't really know. Yeah, it's a weird like scope, like a surgeon scalpel, scalpel on a baton. <laughs> And so Treville is the first one who stands up and he's like, because at first she's going to torture a servant and he's like, don't do that. Uh, take me instead because he knows Jaina slept with him. And so he's just like, eh. You're not worth it. You're and not that's a worth double it. blow. <laughs> and he's kind of like, oh, damn. And she says like, not even like his pain or something was yeah. worth her time. 
So he he definitely helps her out, and they do after this party sleep together, <laughs> which was okay. And it doesn't get awkward. I was like, that's like for so many reasons that should be awkward. But she does make sure he gets a promotion. He is now. He is now head of the family. He's now the head of the family. Yeah, which seems like a job I wouldn't want, but... And he does, she says that. She's like, he won't thank me for it, but now he's yeah. the head of the family. So she has sex with Travel, <laughs> and it's like, they're kind of explaining it. It's kind of awkward, you know, they're kind of bumbling. And then she, like, almost, like, she goes into the bathroom when he's asleep. <laughs> right, I forgot. It's just kind of like, she's like, like, a lot of this is, like, her memories and, like, things felt, like, almost like hearing her thoughts... Mm-hmm. So she hears this, like, don't say his name in the dark unless you want him to appear. And she's like, she whispers, like, Nahadope. And he, like, shows up. And then they, like, bang. And it's, like, yeah, so much gets more. Her off. Yeah, it's, like, way more satisfying than Treville. And I was like, ah. Oh. Well, she sort of hints that the reason she couldn't get off with Treville is because somebody impeded. Right. Yeah. And it's, he, and I kept thinking back to that scene where, so, cause it's so fucking bright in that castle, she can't sleep. <laughs> so she asked him to make it dark. And he's like, whenever I make it dark, I leave a little bit of myself. So I was like. Oh yeah. He's like, I'm always watching you, girl. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. So he was there and he was the one impeding, which I'm like, that's, that's some petty shit. Yeah. But, you know, and then she I, gets I up he's like, you can't sleep, huh? Yeah. I can help with that. <laughs> this whole book was wild. There is some like political intrigue with, uh her homeland dar oh yeah they used to be like big bad dar and everybody would like be afraid of them but because um it was kind of like maybe punishment for her mom yes and for the region and the region for sheltering her uh they cut off trade with dar so when she comes from dar it's like very impoverished like they're for real struggling. So her first her first act is to call... She gets, like, these delegates kind of that she's in charge of, of these 100,000 kingdoms. And she says, you have to start trading with Dar again. There's, like, some stuff with, like, an older, like, northern woman. I really liked her, like, the old lady. Yeah, she was cool. Anochi? Ross? Raz Onchi, I think. Ross Onchi. Who is... She got killed, right? They killed yes, her. Yes, I... She she was murdered. <laughs> she was murdered. murdered this, Maybe like, sweet sleep, old lady. If she was lucky, it was, like, a, a poison. She went to sleep, but she was definitely killed. <laughs> Samina is kind of using this to... She she basically... And it's, it's interesting, like, Samina's plan also, like, goes over the course of, like, a year or two or something. Like, <laughs> yes. she was planning... She's plotting. Way in advance of Rilad. And when he tries to catch up, he cannot... But she she basically is uh, funding Dar's, like, ancestral enemies to mm-hmm. wage war. And there's this scene where Yena, because she's like, well, she knows this, at this point, Yena knows that she's going to die. So she's kind of like... She's really fatalistic about the whole... <laughs> she really is. And they keep asking her, like, what do, what do you want? What do you want if you're going to do this thing for us, if you're going to die for us? And so the only thing she really can think of is leaving behind a better world, especially for Dar. So she kind of gets this promise from Sia that they'll favor Dar and Dar will be looked after in the God's War <laughs> that's coming up. Because as we found out in the first God's War, shit got destroyed. Shit got destroyed. Like there's this awful scene where they say like Idafa died and like all living life like I don't know, like eighty percent of it died, and everything else—it was like people and cows and shit laying in the 
field and their intestines like blew up because their bowels couldn't move anymore yeah. and they couldn't breathe and it's like it's oh. super gross yes <laughs> it's, it was, it was it's real gross. yeah so she's like if you can spare dart from that <laughs> <laughs> thanks just that little thing <laughs> so basically everyone's telling her you need to get ruthless you need to get ruthless so she's like, okay. So she asked Nahadoth if he'll come with her to the enemy's kingdom and kind of like flex her power. Yes. And boy, does she. She, before she goes in, she makes him promise not to kill anyone. Yeah. And again, because they are very literal. He says, he's like, okay. okay. Oh, he's like, yeah, I won't kill nobody. That's fine. <laughs> like, that's fine, baby. So they go. <laughs> and um, I forget the guy's name, but he's like, He's this other, like, tribal leader. And they're kind of like, well, fuck you, Yana. She goes, and there's, like, some really cool parts. Like, she's the only female there. Female character yes. there. And, like, this this country is like, well, fuck all you bitches. <laughs> like, you treat your best. <laughs> bro. <laughs> yeah, like, cattle. And they're super mad about that. And then um, she sees this guy, this younger guy. And he's kind of like... She's like, the first time he bucks up, she's like, well, that's just, that's just what men do. Like, they're loud. And then the <laughs> second time he does it, like, she knows, like, now she's in danger. Like, now he's actually going to try to strike her. And I think it's, like, right before he can touch her, like, his arm, like, starts, like, crystallizing. It was like, let's see, like, oh, it's so gross. But. And it's spreads up his arm mm-hmm. down his body there is another i think they said it's like a ken or a tuck tuck soldier who sort of tries to come and help yeah and then like little pieces of the diamond sort of flick off while the other guy's thrashing and then it gets on him and so his limbs start turning yeah to this so black it's like stone he's freezing into diamonds <laughs> like it's a black diamond it's and he's bad. like screaming he's like in total agony like She's saying, like, his mind is, like, completely destroyed because he can't even comprehend what's happening. Yeah, he's going insane. He's going insane. Like, his skin is flecking off and, like, turning everyone into crystal or into this black diamond. And so she's, like, completely disgusted and she wants it to stop. But she knows that if she does, then they'll see her as weak. So basically she says, next time, you know, I won't just kill two. I'll do this to 20 people. And after that, I'll do it to 2,000 people. And they're like, okay, all right, cool, cool down. Like, we won't go to war with <laughs> Chill, your people. Chill, girl. Chill. And then she basically says to Nahado, like, you could kill them now. And they turn into, like, they're, like, fully, like, black diamonds. And she's like, you know, their family should sell that because black diamond <laughs> is the most uh, valuable one. It's just, ooh. Well, at first, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking, are they, like, sentient diamonds? But you're right, he stops before it gets to their heads. Yeah. And then she says, okay, go ahead and put them out of their misery. Yeah. Because at first I like, thought they like, were like living sentient diamonds and they were aware that they're just like they're rocks with brain. Like, I don't know what I thought it was, but that was horrifying. Yeah. It's like, I think they were still alive, but like definitely like their minds are like totally destroyed. And then she's like, okay, kill them. Like, Even because he's like, this. you know, it's like the, when you were a little kid and it's like, well, you said I couldn't do this. Because <laughs> he was like, well, you said don't kill them. So I just turn them into these horrible rock monsters. The Aramari are, like we learn, are just ruthless and cruel. There are a couple instances in the book where there are heretics, where Yena, Yena sees them, like, doing away with, like, people who believe 
any other gods besides a tempest. Mm-hmm. And there's one scene where I guess one guy gets impaled yeah. on, I don't remember who has the weapon. Is it uh, Varane, the, the Scrivener? I think he so. Sort of, he sort of impales him. And then there's another scene where we go sort of like into the bowels of the palace, the Obligate? Oh, the Oubliette. Uh, um, yes. These, the Oubliette. And there's like this, demon monster i could not understand and i was happy like what he looked like oh i just i just pictured some like a human who had been like extra limbs had been sprouted like a human experiment like a croton bird like yeah oh uh, i had listened to the human monster. centipede episode of we hate movies so that was on my mind all like, i know is he like tries to sit down and he can't he's like crying yeah <laughs> and like, just, uh, in pain and in suffering and we learn they need him for the ritual ceremony yeah i don't get the full mechanics why that yeah. was a little lost but like she tries to order nahadol to put him down like to put him out of his misery and he's like i can't, I can't. because dakar is the one who ordered me to do it right and it's just, ugh. So they, and I like when the other guy, like, gets impaled. And everybody was <laughs> That's like. That's a great way to begin a sense. <laughs> Yada is, like, disgusted. And everyone was like, well, if he jumped, then he would have, like, smashed against the side of Sky. And it would have been a lot better for him. So I don't know why he didn't jump. <laughs> it's just like, ugh. And then there are, like, little hints throughout about how awful the Aramary are. Like, very casually, she, she says they might be cannibals. Yes! Yes! <laughs> like, yeah, super cash. <laughs> Yeah, like they used to enjoy eating humans. That that wasn't a tradition they exported. And I was yeah. like, okay, are we going to follow up on that? Yeah. Well, they also sort of hint at the ball. Um, and maybe this is related to the Obliate thing. They uh-huh. hint there's two parties. So we talk about the ones that the low bloods hold uh-huh. where they're like partying out. But the high bloods hold this other party. And Varane sort of talks about when you have a lot of money and everything is at your whim, it takes a lot to entertain you. Yeah, And he sort of like hints that it's, something like obscene or you know that i'm thinking like probably of human sacrifice well i'm thinking like they changed that guy who's in the oubliesque like yeah, that's, that's when they thinking. torture him yeah maybe they're and they, related like, watch I didn't it for know. fun yeah i didn't know if that was related but i figured but like basically we just hint that like they're just really casually they're so sheltered and so protected in this big castle that they've lost sort of, they're all insane, to be perfectly yeah. honest. She hints multiple times that it's easy to lose your wits in this place. But they're just that, you know, inured from, like, what's going on. They're, like, casually cruel. It's just in them. Yeah. Descartes says multiple times, I wanted to see if you were a true Aramary. And she's like, and it basically mean, can you, can you kill? Are you yeah. ruthless? Are you ruthless? Would you do whatever? And it she's kind of like, and she's the like, whole time no. she's like, no. But then she realizes, like, she has to be. Yeah. Oh, I did want to say, did we talk about how, like, they have this walking dead disease that only affects oh, yeah. the lowborn? Like, the <laughs> Which poor is, like, people? super important to Cadet's plot. Yeah. And, like, because her dad gets it. Yeah. And she brings... So Cadet's husband gets the walking dead. And basically, it's, like, a fever that, like, just sort of cooks you alive. And at the final stage, you sort of get driven to, like, walk. You yeah. Sort of driven to rise from your bed and walk but the thing is it's also very contagious yeah so they need to contain they don't want people walking around they quarantine them they will lock whole cities if they know that there's um if there's someone who has it yeah so so she brings her husband who has this disease to the castle and sort of begs to carta yes to cure him and this is like the last piece of the puzzle of kenneth's kind of story yes um and she begs him to cure him 
he, so you think that he says, like, initially you think that he says no. Well, he, I mean, he does say no. <laughs> and you think that he, like, banishes her, strikes off her blood mark. That's why she's got the, the scar. But it turns out he does say no, but he, like, begs her to come back. Yes, to stay. To and even stay. bring Yena with her. And even bring Yena. And he's like, I can promise to try to love Yena. Like, I miss you so much. Like, just please, please, please come back. And so she's like, no, like, I'm going to stay with my husband. And then that's when uh, not of them come and they say, well, we can cure him. And they say, um, if they promise her unborn child to to house the soul fragment of Enifa, then they'll cure her husband. And she says, okay. Well, we also sort of learned that that was not a, it wasn't a natural plague. It yeah. was... Um, it was a plague caused probably by Verain. Verain, yeah. Yeah, using his Scrivener magic. Yeah, because they say only like 12 people died and it was like yeah. over really quickly. And poor Yato's dad. Like, he, he doesn't have much to do with this. Like, he wrote some poetry. He's super in love with <laughs> Kenneth. Kenneth might have been in love with him. You know, it's kind of up in the air. Up in the air. But essentially, he gets cured and they go back. And when Yena's born, like, her mother tries to smother her because she's, yes. like, she doesn't want her, like, basically to be kind of like the Edifada, like, this tool or this weapon that has, like, no choices of her own. But then eventually she she says that she, like, looks into her eyes and she can see, like, even though there's this other, like, kind of malicious entity because we learn Edifa is not, like, super... <laughs> Like she's All like the gods a mother. Are a crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're a little crazy. She's like a mother figure, but they def like Sia like definitely is like, yeah, she tried to kill me like right after I was born and now I don't try to take talk her out of it. And she was like constantly killing things just because. <laughs> um so even though she sees like this kind of like, you know, evilish thing in her, or what she perceives to be evil, she sees her own daughter too. And she's like, well, I'm going to love her and I'm going to try to keep her away from this as much as I possibly can. Yeah. The other soul is still there. It yeah. didn't completely push out her soul. So, so that sort of leads to our big showdown. Yeah. <laughs> so they go to perform the ritual and it's in another round room. Go figure. And everyone's sort of like in a corner. And so she's ordered to this stone. We hear a lot about this, this, Stone of the earth. Yeah. And the first like, time, like, Yana sees it, she's like, it's just a rock. <laughs> she's like, look at this. Yeah, it's like a lump, little small lump of rock. And it rises up. And so she's ordered. So from what I can understand, it helped me, correct me if I'm wrong. By opening the rock and using the rock, the God's power will flow through her. And then normally what happens is it's too much for the mortal body to take and it'll kill her. Yes. And in this, so what she does is she plans to hold on to the rock and name Ralad the successor. Mm -hmm. Samina is not happy about this. No. But before they can finish their plot and like she can get the blood sigil, the blood sigil off of Descartes' head and onto Ralad, she is stabbed literally in the back by Varane. Yeah, and I like that scene where she's like, she looks down, she's like, that shouldn't be there. <laughs> and then she like dies. Yes, and she full on dies. Like she collapses. Yeah. She watches her own body and watches all of these happenings outside of herself. And again, everyone's super chill after she's dead. I think Sia was a little bit upset. He's a cat for some reason. <laughs> he is a cat. He's a feel. I was thinking like a leopard. Yeah. Like a black I was leopard. Too, yeah. And he's kind of like, you know, tense. Like the other gods are like in there 
true forms instead yeah. of like their their mortal bodies at this point. Yeah. And well, because like, is like, what are you all doing here? I didn't invite you here. And they're like, and she's like, I invited them. Which is already, you look a little suspicious, red flag. guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe wait outside the door. Like, they're there and, like, they're battle-ready for <laughs> it's a, a little more subtle. <laughs> a little subtle. Because I don't know if we had to explain this, but, like, Brian Tempest, like, comes to greet the new person. And this is, like, you think the first time he's going to show up. So they're all like, all right, we're going to be ready to fight him. We're going to jump Exactly. Off. But yeah, she's dead. Yeah, she's dead. And as she's bleeding out and she's watching it, Varane reveals he has been a Tempest this whole time. Yeah. And Kure reveals that she's the one who told a Tempest of their plot in exchange for her freedom. Yes. Because they were all fools to trust this dumb mortal. <laughs> Even yeah, though their bet. plot would have worked, Kure, if you would just you know right? shut up. If she had just let it happen, but she was like, no... I don't think so. Well, she does argue it would have led to another war and we would have lost, which, you know, way to have faith. <laughs> so, but while all this is happening, everyone's fighting everyone now. Like, Samina is going for Rolad. Yeah. The card is just trying to get the hell out of the way. Nahadoth and Etempis are fighting. Zerkan is trying to take out Kurei. Everyone's, I don't know where Sia is. I think Sia is helping Zerkan take out Kurei. Everyone's fighting and no one notices that the stone has, like, fallen yeah. in Yena's blood. It's like, Twist. <laughs> <laughs> she's like there's like some loophole where they're like the bloodstone only kills the living and i guess uh, the thing is like since it touches her while she's still dead and it taps the power through she can come back through her body and it gets reincarnated i think i understood that that yeah, legal the, loophole if there was anything about this that like confused the hell out of me it's how exactly the succession was supposed to work yeah and then uh this twist like i think like it, like the gods, like the way I understand it, the gods themselves can only kind of act in their own nature. Yes. And because Enifa was life and death, it would it would make sense that for her, immortality wouldn't be that she would live forever, but like that her godly essence would live forever, but it would like be born and die. Yeah. So she, Enifa dies, but Yena retains that like energy and she uh, becomes the new god of twilight essentially and i think the other loophole was during so they can only do this during like dawn and dusk yeah so they have to finish this whole ceremony before the sun rises and i think during that time the earth stone whatever it touches it allows the power of the gods to flow through so before when a living person was holding it it killed them but when it falls on her dead body I think maybe it allows uh, to go the other way. That was my read of it. And no, that someone makes feel sense. free to tell me if I'm wrong. That's the only way I can make sense. I'm like, how is she back in this dead body? Right. But yeah, she and is. It heals itself. It yeah. heals itself. She is now like the new goddess, and she she starts giving some retribution. She like, starts giving some retribution. She's been a god for five minutes, and she's like, time for me time for me to use these powers and she uses them like innately she knows instinctively how to use her powers. yep she's like hooray bye girl <laughs> tempest gets locked as a human yes i hope that's the next book yes so a tempest basically what did i say he gets eddie mcdowell yeah eddie mcdowell um and he basically gets locked into this mortal form by uh and yena yeah. Who they call, I think, like, the 
lady in gray or something because she's like in this ugly gray dress they gave her. But that kind of well, becomes her thing. But then she redresses herself into the because she's like, oh, I got this power. She gives herself a traditional Dare Warriors oh, uniform, right. but it's silver. And she's like, well, I am a god. But she forgot to make herself shoes. Yeah, she's barefoot. That's right. <laughs> um, and so they basically like overpower him because now it's two on one and they trap him in this mortal body and they're like you basically have to walk the earth as a mortal and you have to kind of like go through and atone for all of like the horrible stuff that was done in your name because you know basically you were like colonized like people were like colonizing in your name like Mm -hmm. (laughs) there was like a whole continent that was destroyed because of what they did that we didn't get into but yeah um and you have to like find out like basically like what it is to be loved because your idea of love is like being overly possessive and like controlling and that's that ain't it and so he it is interesting like I think out of the three the second one is my favorite book and he does come back um but not quite in a way that you expect so it's like not it's 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 if you thought this one had a lot of sex in it (laughs) that was like real real sexy and the main character is not like nobility she's kind of like this interesting thing all of the so they kind of hinted this um and at the end too like there were all these other godlings that were children of the three main gods ah and they are now back released into the earth oh i didn't know that yeah like at one point like nahadoth is asking like you know like well what what do you want if you help us and she's like, well, I kind of want the three, the three main gods to, like, leave us alone. <laughs> like, for people to, like, do what they want. And he's like, well, it'll cause chaos. And she's like, well, that's, he says it'll cause chaos, but eventually things will sort themselves out. So the three main, well, Naharoth and Yena kind of take big steps back, even though she shows up later and it's really awesome. But they take steps back, see all of them. And oh, then, so they're not in the next one? They big. are. And I think Sia's the... I haven't finished the third one, but Sia's the narrator of the third one. Okay, I'll finish. I have the omnibus, I think <laughs> I told you. I didn't realize I had the whole bind up on Kindle. But um, Tempest is a main character in the next one. Okay. But so he's I'll not the narrator. One. Okay. And, like, all the godlings come out, and it's, like, kind of like a murder mystery. And oh, awesome. Like, it's, like, real bohemian, and like, with artists, and... It's very interesting. Awesome. Well, the the Goodread ratings, I was like peeking through. I don't like to read them too much because people don't know how to mark, mark their damn spoilers. <laughs> but it seems that that's a popular thing is people really like the second one. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we'll do that one. Um, We've done sequels before. Yeah. Down the um, line, maybe sometime next year. But yeah. Yeah, I think you don't I did like that one. I did want to say I like how Naha also gets to escape. Because oh, <laughs> Naha yeah. was just going to kill him. <laughs> Which he was, was like, cool with. He was like, I'm ready. <laughs> like, he, he decides to help them, and she's like, why are you helping us? And she's like, I just imagine him being like, girl, I'm tired. He's been through a lot. <laughs> he would, he's like a sex slave during the day, and at the night, who knows what the hell is happening. <laughs> he's got to clean it up, yeah. Yeah, but he gets away, too. Um, we said Treville becomes the new head of the family but it's like he hates it it's great (laughs) it's like this huge mess she destroys sky and turns it into like this huge like tree tree? which becomes extremely important in the second book okay um she does heal his hip too because the (laughs) carter had broken his hip i thought she was gonna kill him yeah 
but no, she, she heals his broken hip. And she's like, you need to live long enough to see the transition. And she tells him to put Terrell in charge. Yeah. I think that's it for the big things. Killing Kure, enslaving Tempest, and putting Terrell, 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 Terrell. in charge. I can never say his name right. I can't. That apostrophe. It trips me up. It trips you up. You're like, what? I think we've discussed nearly everything it might have been all over the place but hey this book is also this book so is like super like there's literally like chapters where it starts where she's like wait wait hold on I gotta go back <laughs> so you know what I mean it's appropriate then that this episode yeah um I was a big fan at the end of the book of Nahadoth like he's like super emo and like apparently hot and it's like yeah it's yeah cool. it's like the only things you really know about him are like he's fine <laughs> Um, I liked I, I like the idea of the Tempest kind of like you think he's like so godly and perfect and then he gets and there and he's like not only is he like you know pure black skin blazing hot like the sun super mad pissed off and like totally nuts it's just insane just insane <laughs> and then Inafa the whole time is kind of like well <laughs> she's what watching you do? <laughs> I will say. Just the whole mist. I always wonder how really good, like how authors write these really good, like mystery plots like this. Like, do you have to start with it and then go backwards? Yeah, I don't know. Because like, I never would have expected. I mean, Corey was an asshole from jump. I don't know why I didn't suspect anything, but I never. Because suspected. it's like she's the goddess of wisdom. You think like she's supposed to be making like good choices. She's not the goddess of loyalty though, so That's I don't true. know why I didn't suspect. But like when Sia has that, I highlight it when Sia's like, "You're the one who killed Kenneth," and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, it like came out of nowhere. I was like, "Oh shit!" Or even like Varain being like. So I was a tippist the whole time, so I could watch yes, everything. That too. <laughs> like all of them made sense, and like, ooh, that okay. We didn't talk about this. Him being a tempest the whole time, when Nahadoth is tortured with like that sun torture. Oh yeah, in the arena, like, and she sort of points out like every little humiliation Nahadoth has suffered. He's been there. Yeah, watching. Yeah, he's constantly there, like watching him, and it's like, and tempest was like big mad. Yeah, I'm like this petty <laughs> shit. Yes. Ooh. And it's, like, it's interesting to think, like, you know, they're gods in this, but it's, like, they're so locked into, like, what they are. Like, a Tempest mm-hmm. is, like, order, and he's control, and he's possessiveness. And you would think, like, dude, let it go. <laughs> he can't. He, nature. he literally, yeah, he literally cannot let it go. He literally, for, like, millennia, has to be torturing <laughs> Nahadot, like watching it, like taking, like you said, pettiness, like you think would be beneath him as like a literally all powerful god. But he really, I think maybe Sia says this. He's like, in this way, like mortals are kind of more powerful than the gods that they can mm-hmm. go against their nature and change and do different things and learn. But he's like, but the gods, they can't. They are who they are. They are who they are. And it's like, they, the way they talk about him, like at first, uh, you know, they're like all three of them and they talk about like the parties that they used to throw like on a specific day and like uh, everybody would come into the temple and Inifa would take like like brightest people and like mothers and like the el- the sick and oh, elderly yes. and <laughs> like heal them. <laughs> yeah. And then Atipus would take like the best of the brightest and those would be his sacrifices and Nahadoth would be like whoever's just ready to party. <laughs> exactly. 
And, like, they would worship all three of them in tandem. But then it's, like, when it switched, Antipas was, like, the only, like, true god. And, like, Nahadoth was, um, you know, pure evil. Like, he was basically, like, the devil. And Inifa, like... Uh, they call her a whore at one point. They call her a whore. They call her the the betrayer. Like, Yena doesn't even yeah. know her name, like, at first. Yeah. Because she's, like, they don't even teach it. So yeah. it's definitely an interesting kind of, like you know on how history on gets written. yeah and how yeah. history gets written i don't know i just i like this book a lot <laughs> i liked tell. it too so i probably will continue on with the sequel i'm so glad i have it thank you book writer whoever <laughs> told me about those deals of the day i like yeah i think you like very honestly so if we could talk about how the sausage is made like we knew that we were gonna so we plan out i know this is gonna sound amazing to people we plan out the books that we're gonna read we, we do. We make a solid effort to try. <laughs> and we usually stay pretty close to topic. So I think like maybe like six or seven months ago, I was like, okay, when it becomes winter, like that's when we'll transition. <laughs> and so we wanted to do a sci-fi. So I was like, let's do this one. And then it was like maybe three, four months ago that the book went on sale and you put the, well, we got our affiliate link. And literally yeah. that one retweet from a kid Joseph Panel of Art hosting these machines. We owe N.K. Jemison so much. Yeah. So that's why we were like, we got to do it. Cause yeah. That's literally how we paid for this podcast this year. Oh, she saved us. Not that it was like it was an endorsement or anything like that, but it was just, it just was funny how that it was shook out. Well, and I think it's also thanks to her because we tagged her in it. And not yeah. a lot of times authors who we'll tag in other things that have nothing to do with like selling the books. A lot of them do. I don't want to make it seem like, they don't, but like we always love it when authors engage with yeah. like, the tweets. And we they'll share. say yes, because thank you. Not I know, all of them do. I know the author of um what was the murder house when we did the mystery? It was oh, they all fall down. They all fell down. Rachel, Rachel Housel Hall. That's it. Yeah. She listened yeah, to the whole damn thing. Yeah. She yeah. was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. So Yeah, so we always love when, you know, people interact with us at any level, writer, author, reviewers. Reader. YouTubers, whoever. Yeah. So, so yeah. I think that's it. I think I'm, so. I'm very happy you did this pick. This was good. This is a good. I listened and read it. It's been a real fantasy month for me because some of the other books I read this month. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can start with what you're reading because I didn't read anything else because <laughs> I, so I got a cold. Oh, I no. Am, yeah, I have a head cold, Bobby. In this last month of pregnancy. <laughs> and girl, I am so tired. I just you're have there, to sleep constantly. You're almost there. You can see the finish line. Um, so I, it was like all genre fiction for me this month, which was, you were tweeting something about like why lawyers tend to be romance oh, writers. Yeah. And like, I just, listen, I've already said this. I love any conversation about like John, I love them both, but I love any conversation about genre fiction versus literary fiction mm-hmm. and how like one is not better than the other. It's mm-hmm. just like different, different skills. Notes. Yeah, and different confines and requirements. Mm-hmm. And so I thought you brought up a good point of like having to work within a set of limitations is just as creative. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it forces you to be more creative than like having free, you know, free yeah, reign to do whatever you want. So experimental, whatever. So it was romance and fantasy this month. I read um, His Until Midnight by Reese Ryan, which was like a Harlequin category romance. And I have not read a Harlequin category romance since high school. Mm. The nostalgia was heavy. <laughs> There's like something about them. They're like always really short. 
they're usually written in like as part of a series and you gotta like you can check in on everybody involved in the series it was something it was i felt like high school danny for like five minutes um i read raft by rebecca weatherspoon its subtitle is raft a buff male nanny romance (laughs) so that's what that was about it's super fluffy um, and then a big one I read. I'll get to the fantasy soon, I promise. And then the, no, the big right. one I read, which was released, I think, this Tuesday, was Get a Life, Chloe Brown. That oh, was sent- I keep seeing that, the cover for yeah. that Yeah, I have a copy to send you if you want. That was sent to us by HarperCollins or maybe Avon. I think one owns the other. Um, and I did a review on Instagram. So it was really cute. It's the story of this girl who has... Um, a near fatal accident. Well, she, yeah, basically she's involved in this freak accident and she realizes she doesn't have a life and she wants to, she wants to resolve that because she keeps, she has this running thing where she keeps picturing her obituary and it's like, it's like Chloe Brown lived, she died. It was very boring in between. And so she sort of recruits her superintendent of her apartment to help her do this little bucket list she bucket list she has of like getting a life. Okay. And so it's really cute. But one thing she's balancing with all this is she has fibromyalgia. Oh. So she suffers like chronic pain. And the book sort of talks about that a lot, about what her life is like living with chronic pain, living as a disabled woman and how, you know, she's, she doesn't pity herself. She doesn't feel sorry for herself, but she is frustrated sometimes by the, her limitations, mm-hmm. how people treat her. The whole thing. So it was really good. I would recommend it. Oh, okay, yeah, send it to me. Yeah, and I will thank the publisher for sharing <laughs> back. Um, and then the other fantasy I read was The Water Dancer by oh, Tennessee Cox. How was that? I really enjoyed well, it. Will I be sad say, if I read it? Oh, uh, I don't think so. Okay. It's not, it has like, it's literary fiction and it has like a mo, and it's about slavery. So it has its moments of peril, but it is not like, it's not torture okay. Like you don't read about people being like, abused um it is about his name is Hiram Walker and he discovers he has this um power of like conduction which he uses to I guess I don't want to give too much of a way but um he he discovers he has this power which he can use to help you know better better his people's lives Mm, okay so I will recommend the audiobook it is narrated by Joe Morton aka Miles Dyson aka Papa Papa Pope Papa Pope does he throw anybody in a hole See, okay, when I first discovered this, I said Miles Dyson, and everyone's coming to me with like, Papa Pope, Papa Pope. I have never seen Scandal, y'all, oh. so I don't know. <laughs> I only know the Papa Pope because uh You're only missing Twitter. the jokes. Okay. <laughs> You're not missing because a great we're... show. You're missing the jokes. <laughs> uh, well, then that's good to know. Because when I said, I said Miles Dyson from the Terminator movie. Okay, Which means that's my fair. reference is almost like 20 the 1991 terminator my reference is almost 30 years old so so that's where i was coming from but he does a great job yeah performing he's a it. good actor yeah he puts his like my daddy's signal have you, you all know the expression put your foot into like yes <laughs> he put his foot into this performance because there's a lot of singing of like spirituals oh, okay. and he is not one to just read the lyrics no <laughs> Joe Morton is going to sing this Negro spiritual. That's awesome. I love that. You're going to feel it. So I recommend that. And I think that's it, really, honestly. That's it for my reading. I kind of had a slump. It's taken me too long to finish some things and what it should. 
Hey. Like, it took me a week to finish that male nanny romance. <laughs> it's like 120-some pages. Well, like, I mean, yeah. you've been busy with other things. Yeah, I've been sick. Like, <laughs> I've been lazy. Your super secret project. That, too. That's true. I forgot about that one. So, yes. And I've been reading for that, which is... If I told you what I've been reading, you'd give it away. So, when do you think you will? That's next year, right? Early next year. I'm hoping to launch January 2020. I was gonna try and do it December, but I'm like, let's be realistic. It's everyone's busy. I'm busy. I'm already. We were already kind of late on this podcast. I was like, let me catch up. Yeah. So the first, I think, I think the first Monday or Tuesday is when I hope to drop the first episode. And I was going to, um, after I find the hosting, cause I don't have the hosting yet. Uh, either, yeah. I was going to start promoing. It, I'm just so. so excited for this. Like I can't <laughs> wait to listen. <laughs> it's, it's going to be something I tweeted. So like, is this my legacy? Cause I tweeted out I don't know if you follow me on Twitter. I tweeted out a kind of hilarious blurb from one of the things I'm reading <laughs> oh, in, which, yeah. in which a man gets his penis slapped. And but I'm like, is this going to be what my legacy is? I think so, Daniel. I think you found your niche. <laughs> that was like, it didn't go super viral, but that was like one of the most popular tweets tweets I've ever had. That's what like, you're going to be known for. <laughs> well, and then the Terminator thing. <laughs> that was also, and it was like a whole bunch of people who are not our demographic, like at all, like not right, not people who know Danny and Molly, not people who know Black Chicklet. It was like just a whole bunch of dudes sitting in that just, one gift. This gift of Arnold Schwarzenegger walking completely naked, and his penis is just flipping everywhere. Just I went every, to my mentions. It's like flipping, flapping. It's like flying around in the breeze. I'm surprised you couldn't remember that. That's literally the only thing I remember from the Terminator. It happens like a me. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> to be fair, that was T1, which I don't watch uh, as often. I watch T2 more often because it's just funny that this Terminator is now like a babysitter bot. But well, he's yeah, everybody's oh. dad, Daniel. That's why it's so popular. That's why like dudes love that movie because it helps process their emotions about it. Like, it does. Big fathers and sons. <laughs> It does, I know, and that's my way. Like that's why they love it, and like they get that manly cry at the end. Yep. Has Frank seen Terminator too? Does he? Have <sighs> yes, he does. This is the this is literally the only reason why I've ever seen the Terminator, and why I knew immediately when you posted that that you see Arnold Schwarzenegger's dick because I watched the first two for the first time this year. Like I'd never okay. seen them, and he was like, "You've never seen the Terminator," so we sat down and we watched both of them. The first one I was like, "Why are you making me watch this?" And the second one, I was like, I get it now. This I was, love Terminator too. This was your like, what's what's like a girl movie that helps you process like your mother daughter? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I'd have to think about. I don't it more. know. I would too. I can't think of anything. <laughs> but it's like that equivalent for like, you know. And I think the only reason I can't think of one specific is because it's so ingrained in culture, whereas dads don't get that same attention. That's I feel true. like, yeah. Like, so, what's a movie about no, someone who just loves their dad? Exactly. Like, there's is- there's daddy issues. Like, yeah. you hating your dad and you being estranged from your dad. That gets a lot. <laughs> but your dad being a cool guy who you love and is there for you and, you know, Even though he's you a out. robot. Even though he's a robot. And at the end, he melts into, like, a crucible or something. I don't know. Like, it's, they're pure for, you know, let men process their emotions. I mean, I'm not a, it gets me too. I was like, there's, why can't the Terminator just like, why can't they just be on the road and be this like this odd family. family with their robot dad? <laughs> <laughs> he could have just pretend to lost that arm in some war. It's fine. So, 
But yeah, so yeah, so that happened on Twitter. A whole bunch of tweets of that gif of Arnold Schwarzenegger's dick just <laughs> whip it. It was an interesting time for me. Yeah, it, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for Danielle. Yeah, so that's good. I guess I embrace it. That's my legacy now. <laughs> All right. What is a legacy? Where can they find us, Mom? Well, <laughs> What's in well, this? about our bonus question? Because it'll be December. Do we want to do just end of year? Yeah, our wrap-up. That's always a popular episode. Yeah, so end of year, your thoughts on what you read in 2019. Um, I think we'll probably do, like, looking forward in 2020 in January. Yeah, that's what we tend to do it, yeah. So just looking back on this year, what you read, what you wrote, who you discovered, like, creative projects you did. If you're, like, a booktuber, you did an Instagram, or... You know, all things books, all your whole readerly life in 2020. If you have something you're proud of, something interesting. Something, 2019. Uh, 2019, yeah. Something we missed, <laughs> you know, now's the time to bring it up. Yes. This is always my favorite because we talk about the books we hate. We talk about the books we love. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we do like a, what do you call it? Like a retro. Retrospective. Retrospective of Black Chicklet Year mm-hmm. 3. <laughs> it's always good. So I think that's it. I think so. Um, so where can they find us, Danielle? <laughs> now it's time for that. They can find us on Twitter at Black Chick Lit. Um, you can find us on Instagram at BCL Podcast. And you can email us for questions, comments, or concerns at contact at blackchicklit.com. Um, so don't forget we have a Patreon. Um, you can get uh, you know supporter exclusive episodes that are um i was really proud we stayed very on topic this time we did so you can find some like more off-topic stuff over at patreon i think that's helping it i think it is it gives us our outlet (laughs) (laughs) at patreon.com uh forward slash black chick lit thank you to our current patrons um who are really helping us you know not just like financially but like stay on schedule stay focused stay focused yes we got we got dependence now. Um, and finally, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find us, whether that be Google Play or on iTunes. This helps other listeners find the podcast, gives us all those good algorithm points, and basically just helps spread the word. Yeah. And thanks, as always, to Sweet 45 for use of our theme song, Jones In. You can find them on SoundCloud at um, soundcloud.com forward slash sweet, S-U-I-T-E, 45 four or five. Woo! That's That's it. it. That's an episode. That wraps it up. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye.